You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers. With Saya, Anissa and Parama. And this is the year and yeah. 2022. <laughs> Welcome to the final segment of this year's Year and Yak. Yay! Yay! <laughs> yay uh, for un- the yay. Yay for the yay. I, unfortunately, uh, Saya uh, couldn't join us for this segment. Yeah, so Saya is ill, unfortunately, and she couldn't make it, but she sends a message. So I'm just going to share her message here. Um, she said, please send the listeners my love and apologies and... She asks for special messages telling her how great she is. So send those to her. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, she said, my voice has left the building and my lungs have decided to have the revolt the British people couldn't manage when the queen died. <laughs> of course, they're revolting against oxygen, which isn't the smartest thing to do. But neither do the British people do the smart thing. So in that, we are equal. So that's your message for Saya. <laughs> great message. <laughs> uh, but we hope she feels better. We hope she feels better and do send her messages of like, you know, quick recovery and like tell her how awesome she is and how you guys wish she was here instead of us. <laughs> She'd appreciate that. Instead or maybe like in addition. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> okay. Right. So in this segment, um, we asked previous guests and friends of the podcast to share their reviews of underrated gems of 2022 so that, you know, we could highlight shows that we may not have seen or covered properly on the podcast. So we start out with Frabi, who uh, last joined us for our episode on Boys Over Flowers and F4 Thailand. And she writes epic essays on K-dramas, on Krabby for dramas. Uh, Her site is going to be linked in the show notes. And she wants to talk about Our Blues. Hi, it's Brabby. And one drama that stood out to me in 2022, one that I think is very underrated, was Our Blues. And it feels bizarre to call this underrated because it's a drama that gained massive attention back when it was casting everyone. And it has an ensemble at the centre made of massive A-list actors. But once it started airing and people realised that it was an anthology series, meaning that it's following different characters every few episodes, the attention started to sort of drift away. And I don't feel like it gained the love and support while it was airing that it deserved. It's a drama written by No Hee Kyung, who you might know from Live or It's Okay, That's Love. And... She has a tendency to write these characters who are like rough and abrasive and prickly and you don't feel like you can love them at first but she finds ways to sort of bring them, make them feel more human and that's what makes her characters so lovable and her writing so addictive for me personally. Live, for instance, is one of my favourite dramas. And I feel all of the same parts here that I loved there. You know, this massively charming ensemble, these very raw human stories, and this sort of underlying theme of connection and the power of connection. And it's just such a shame to me that people didn't watch it, you know, because it sounds like it's a drama that sort of rinses the melodrama, right, if it's called Our Blues. But I feel like... I mean, like I said, it's very subtle and raw and human at its base. And I feel like a lot of people can relate to it and 
will find the experience of watching it to be very rewarding. Plus, not to mention, it has the best soundtrack of any of the shows that I watched this year. And if I've sold you on any of that, I beg you to please go and watch it. It was one of my favourites from the year. Thank you. <laughs> that was very persuasive. If, if I hadn't already started watching it, I would definitely go start watching it now. So before we uh, talk about uh, Fravi's review... Yuna, uh, who uh, is a friend of the podcast, works in television and last joined us for our episode on My Unfamiliar Family, uh, also wants to talk about Our Blues. So we are going to listen to her first. Hi, happy holidays. I thought a less covered drama this year was Our Blues. I loved it. I mean, the cast was stacked. You have Kim Heja, Lee Byung-han. The list of A-listers goes on and on. And you also have a star scribe in No Hee Young. I thought the format was refreshing. Each episode was a deeper exploration of, if I remember correctly, a character or two and how they came to be. As someone who moved around quite a bit growing up, I loved seeing this tight-knit ragtag crew of childhood friends who grew up on Jeju. They're in everyone's business. They know every embarrassing detail. Secrets and rumors spread like wildfire. But it's because there's this community of people who truly care. All they have is each other. And I think everyone really understood that to their core. And the Ajima grapevine is no joke. <laughs> Anything that happens on a small island feels magnified. I also loved seeing the seasons change, the snowy winter, the vibrant summer. Loved the depiction of Henya, the elderly woman, free divers. You know, they say Jeju is composed of three plenties, women, wind, and rocks. I was worried that there would be some storylines that paled in comparison to others. But overall, I was moved by all of them. I'll never forget the most stunning depiction of postpartum depression. It was so quick and effective. I replayed that scene multiple times. It was brilliant. Our Blues was funny, heartwarming, heartbreaking. Um, and I really, really enjoyed watching it. Wow. Anissa, are you watching Our Blues? I've been watching Our Blues slowly um, because as Robbie mentioned like it is an anthology series but I think that's really beautiful about it it's like the series of interconnected stories that are about each of these characters like each each group of characters will have their own you know two or three episodes mm. um, but they all know each other they're all in the same community and I haven't finished it but it's just a really I mean I I don't have much to add they've both said it so well it's beautifully written beautifully acted incredible cast incredible scenery mm, <laughs> like yeah. it's just it's like going on a vacation but then also like having an incredibly beautiful emotional experience um and also like you start out not liking a lot of characters and then by the end of their arc you've like totally love them um exactly that's a rare gift in a writer and no Kyung is really good at that no Kyung is brilliant I, I the first the drama of hers that i watched was it's okay it's love and it took me a while to really like that drama, but now it's like one of my favorites ever. It like she's really good with like 
you know, having characters with layers and you don't actually, Absolutely. you can't actually figure out her characters just by, with what happens with most dramas, you watch the first episode, you pretty much know what these, each of these characters are like. You can pretty much guess their judgment, their motives and how they would react to certain situations because they're all archetypes, they're not real humans. But her characters always feel like, you know, real humans because they're messy mm. and, and sometimes contradictory. Um, the one thing that really stands out to me uh, in our blues, and I just want to add that to what these two said, um, is that this felt like a story of actual Jeju inhabitants. What often happens with dramas that are about like rural areas or, you know, like other dramas of, that are based on like Jeju or other parts of uh, South Korea that's basically not Seoul, any other part. It often feels like they create characters who are who are living a story that could actually be happening anywhere. They are going through like the place is, is uh, facilitating a kind of experience for these characters, like Summer Strike, for instance. I love them, but honestly, that story could happen anywhere. And the main protagonists aren't really local. Like they're becoming friendly with locals and they are and they love the place, but they aren't like off the soil, so to speak. And that's deliberate. Think of hometown cha cha cha. Also, yeah, I was just gonna bring up hometown cha cha cha. Yeah, yeah. It's like an escape from the city in a lot of ways. It's that yeah. narrative of like you know the big bad city and then returning to the small town and how it's like returning to some kind of like simpler, idealized, nostalgic. Exactly. Life. So it's 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 a view. It's a story of like the the a rural a town or even like uh, the the one the. Um, Park Million One, uh, the when the weather is fine, it, it's, it's come, yeah, it, I'll come to you when the weather yeah, is fine. It's, yeah, it's how how the, those areas are like just simpler and good for the soul and all of that. It's very city perspective, is what I'm trying to say. Whereas mm-hmm. our blues has no city perspective. It's it's so local, which is why it starts. It feels very strange when you're watching it. The rhythm of the story feels different. It doesn't feel like it's for me a city city dweller they are just telling the story as it would be on the island so that's yeah yeah and i also want to say like her recent work has really focused on the full internal lives of elderly people Mm. um in a way that's rare dear my Uh, friends dear my friends yeah Yeah. like dear my friends which i watched uh i think last year a couple years ago i watched it late but like totally destroyed me yeah, <laughs> in the best way. And in this as well, you know, like there's a real reckoning with like multiple generations and how they're, you know, dealing with the world and what they're struggling with. So yeah, not to, you know, go off for too long, but it's, it's a really beautiful show and more people should watch it. Absolutely. Um, All right. And Kim Bin is back. <laughs> in it. Well, I have to say, it's very weird to see Kim Bin and Shin Mina like having love stories with different people but they know each other it's weird like and they're on the screen together anyway that was funny it was very meta there's this one scene where Lee Byung-un who has the storyline with Shin Mina is telling Kim Woo-bin about this woman that he likes and Kim Woo-bin is like is she pretty and he's like yeah she's pretty um and he was like of course she's pretty and I was like yeah that's your girlfriend it's just funny if you don't know they're dating in real life um and they have been for a long time. Yeah. That's one of my favorite couples. Like, I try not to care about uh, actor couples at all because it's none of my business. Seriously, none of my business. And being happy or sad about it is super parasocial. And I try not to do that. 
But these two have like slipped through the cracks and kind of like become a, a solid thing in my heart. And I just hope they have the best relationship for as long as, you know, they have it. If, if it's forever, that's great. Yes. Okay, moving on. <laughs> I am genuinely rooting for them. I agree. I'm usually very like, I don't care. I don't want to know. But they have a special place in my heart. I want them to just like quietly be happy exactly we don't see them and we don't know about them (laughs) (laughs) okay now the next review we have is from anya another friend of the podcast who is a mystery novel author she was also lost with us on the my unfamiliar family episode the one that yuna was on and she was to talk to us about kiss six sense Hi, I'm Anya. I'm a crime fiction novelist, so maybe it's hypocritical of me to wish that Dramaland stopped inserting unnecessary murder (laughs) side plot into otherwise delightful dramas. Uh, Which brings me to one of my favourite dramas of 2022, which is Kiss Sixth Sense, which is an absolutely great 10-episode drama. Hold on, I hear you say. 10 episodes. I'm pretty sure it says 12 episodes. It it does not. Trust me, those last two episodes do not exist. Um, and for those of you interested in story structure, um, it actually manages to have a perfect story arc over its 10 episode run. Whereas in the beginning, you have two people who are lonely because um, they have disabilities that stop them from dating anybody. But by the end of episode 10, they realize that as long as they're with the right person, those disabilities actually are special abilities that they put to good use um, for finding secret ways of making out (laughs) all across the office. Um, Also, the inciting incident, um, the, the moment that kickstarts the plot at the end of episode one gets perfectly resolved by the end of episode 10 in a sequence of scenes that managed to be both hot and hilarious um, in a very rare example of that combo not being mutually exclusive. Um, So don't press play (laughs) on the last two episodes because honestly, you do not care about the murder side plot. Um, And, you know, who did something bad in these people's childhoods you will not care. Stop watching at the end of episode 10 for a very perfect uh, little drama. I I completely agree. I haven't reached episode 10 yet. I started watching it uh, after Anya wrote her uh, essay for our blog, uh, which we'll link below. And uh, it's, listen, she's right. I don't care about the murder murder plot. I'll probably stop at 10. Um, I just care about these two staying together because they are like they complement each other perfectly and they are actual adult human beings and you know they have conversations that adult human beings in a relationship or like approaching a relationship with have it's just overall super enjoyable if you just watch it for the romance and if you ignore the, all of the murdery childhood trauma stuff completely <laughs> Yeah, gives me like her private life right. uh, vibes, uh, which is also perfect at 14 episodes. Exactly. Don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we are going to listen to a review from Just Me, who is a friend of the podcast, and she was last on our Spoiled Yak about Mr. Queen. And she's going to talk about Summer Strike. Hello, testing, testing. 
This is Just Me, old friend of the podcast, here giving a tiny review of Summer Strike, a K-drama that's currently airing right now. So the show hasn't ended yet, so take what I say right now with a grain of salt, but here's my review. I think Yim Siwan has really found his niche in playing the shy, considerate male lead. I now seem to associate the character uh, with who he really is in real life. So either he's playing it really well or that's who he really is. And either way, I'm enjoying it, so I don't care. <laughs> the plot seems pretty straightforward. It's about an overwhelmed, sad girl that takes a break from the day-to-day hustle of city life and finds herself living in a simple town. It's a slow show about healing and people interacting with each other. It's kind of my cup of tea at the moment. So nothing revolutionary, but it's absolutely charming. So give it a try. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jasmine. I agree. Summer Strike is really, it's like, you know, a cool glass of water when it's like really hot. (laughs) It's comforting Mm. and it's nice and it's refreshing. And also... Sometimes watching a drama is a bit of a strain on you where the plot is like taking up a lot of space in your brain and your heart. Um, Here you just care about these two people sort of like, you know, going through their personal, like their internal um, Hmm. upheavals and just like getting to a place mentally where they can be happy together. And, you know, surrounded by a whole host of people with their varied, you know, uh, motivations and all of that stuff. Um, Sometimes supporting, sometimes disrupting uh, this dynamic. But it's just overall, it's just sweet and it's comforting. And it's like, you know, like reading a good book. Mm. So Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to check this out when I um, return decay drama life at some point <laughs> right now I'm like finding refuge in anime because I'm tired so next we have um, Mimi from the talking cupboard who was a guest on our episode about the red sleeve and she's talking about bloody heart hi I'm Mimi from the talking cupboard so my underrated drama of the year for 2022, mm, I've decided that <laughs> to choose Bloody Heart or Vulcan Danshim, starring Lee Jun, Kang Hana, and Jiang Hyo. Mm, the reason simply because I'm a fan of saga or historical drama, so this was on my to watch list for quite a long time. The reason that made me stick with the drama was, of course, the characters uh, of Lee Tae, played by Lee Jun, and uh, Jang Yeok's character. I forgot his name, actually. But the reason I kept watching was all the women. Yeah, so if you like, watching girl in power so i think you you'll like this political historical drama so that's all for me thank you oh <laughs> it went completely under the radar for me i didn't even know when bloody heart aired and when it ended mm. my sister watched it actually zainab yeah. she was saying that she really enjoyed it but yeah it was very like quiet i didn't hear a lot about it either 
Yeah, especially because it was E. Jones' like return vehicle after his um, army stint. So I, I thought it would get like a little more marketing. Right, right. But um, what I didn't realize about this drama was that Kang Hana was in it. And I, I really like Kang Hana. And I've been kind of like hoping for her to get like a major big role for a while um she was the 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 vampire the narcissistic vampire in my roommate is a kumiho for uh those who have watched that drama and and she's adorable she's awesome in everything she does she was also the old assistant startup um so yeah i mean if this drama is not so much about like men fighting for the crown and all being like my my birthright um i'm and more a little more about the women i i am really happy to watch it i'm really tired of sagooks being all like ah the agony of not having the crown mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah you know that's you're speaking my language Borma. but yeah this sounds also this is just like an incredible cast also my sister had put like one of the songs from bloody heart onto like a, a spotify playlist that we were listening to in the car and i was just like this music yeah it's so good okay so the music is good <laughs> And also, it's notable that Mimi thinks this is a good saga because Mimi, if you guys don't know, um, she on her blog, she has this, I think, three or four posts, which which are basically history lessons on on, uh, Korean customs, especially around courtship and marriage. And they are the most epic posts, the stuff you learn there. Your history books are not going to teach you. So I'm going to make sure you guys have the link for that too. Because if you have any interest in Korean history, especially around courtship, you guys got to got to uh, go and read that. It goes through like mm. a good thousand uh, year period. Like it, it goes through like different stages. So she covers a lot of time and a lot of customs. And she's still working on her next post because there's a lot left to talk about. So if she says yes. it's good... It's it's probably really, really good. <laughs> so the next review is from Meenal, who is the co-host of the Crash Landed on K-Dramas podcast. And she's talking about Law Cafe and Love All Play. Ooh, Love All Play. I have not heard much about that. Okay, let's start. So Porama asked me which were the two dramas that I would like to speak about, uh, which I watched in 2022. And my vote goes to The Law Cafe and Love All Play. The common element for me in both dramas was the depiction of a very healthy relationship between the leads as well as perfectly written male leads, which I would like to see more in gay dramas. So first about The Law Cafe. This had all the right elements for me. A feisty female lead, a supportive, caring boyfriend, a fun supporting squad and a villain with a flair. The Law Cafe is not your perfect drama. It was not even the best legal drama. But what I loved is how it tackled various sensitive issues, especially the topic of consent, not only through the cases it dealt with, but also through the relationship of the main lead couple. It also sent me into a deep rabbit hole that is Lee Sung because I don't know how I had not noticed before how charming Lee Sung is as an actor. I loved his expressions and his charisma was undeniable. Lee Se Young as Kim Yuri sits in the top five of my favorite K-drama leads ever. 
she was compassionate she was empathetic she was loud and she had this no holds barred i will do anything i will fight for you till i die attitude in everything she did which i absolutely love the relationship development was so lovely to watch they were not afraid to voice their vulnerabilities they self reflected on their words and actions and they understood the meaning of giving each other time space and freedom but what i really loved is how absolutely hot and sizzling and fiery the chemistry was for this couple it was a very well done mature romance for a couple in their mid 30s so listeners if you haven't watched it i would urge you to watch this drama it's a great romcom now about love all play i started this because it looked like a fun sports drama i didn't expect that the romance would be played out so well with such a perfectly well written boyfriend to me the usp of this drama was the young cast and to see fresh faces young actors deliver such good performance was a treat to watch chee jong hyop as park tae jun the main lead stole the show his wide bright smile just warms my heart his character park tae jun was not only a great boyfriend but he was a wonderful son a great brother and a wonderful teammate as well in a nutshell i would call him perfect Park Joo-hyun delivered a very sensitive performance as the female lead Park Tae-young who has a lot of emotional trauma and is finding her way back. In many scenes I just wanted to reach out and give her a tight hug and tell her she's very very loved. Luckily Park Tae-jun often did that in this drama. But for me the surprise packet was the second lead Kim Woo-jun who plays this arrogant star player Jung-hwan and who was also frenemies with Tae-jun and their rivalry their banter was fun to watch. I think my only complaint about this drama was I would have loved to see more on-court badminton battles because some of the matches and the practice they showed were my favorite scenes. I would really encourage people to watch this underrated gem. I am sure it's not going to disappoint you. To the lovely team at Drama Over Flowers and to their lovely listeners, this is Meenal wishing you all a very happy new year. I wish we get more great K-dramas to watch in 2023 and we all have fun discussing them. See you. <laughs> oh, what a lovely wish. And to you as well, Meenal. Actually, you know what, Meena, you kind of convinced me to at least give Love All Play a try. I've been eyeing it for a while, but it seemed to me that it was. I mean, you know, the trailer focuses very much on like a sort of like an inner rivalry in the team. I don't even know if that's an actual plot or just something the trailer did, but the story doesn't do. And I was just coming off uh, watching some sports dramas, and I just didn't want to go back into it. But this, what what you're describing, sounds completely different, and and. you know a uh, a story that i would be a lot more interested in <laughs> i also didn't realize that the boy playing the lead chejong hyop he's he's son uh from sisyphus uh, the do, do you remember the boy oh yeah son I, oh i liked him in the <laughs> small amount of time that i saw him sisyphus yeah he's he's done a lot like he was a nevertheless but i actually i think he was he the second lead i don't actually remember what he did in nevertheless my attention was not on anyone <laughs> 
Like, mm. I might have shown specifically on like five people or nevertheless and no one else. He was also in the Witch's Diner and um, Hot Stove League. This sounds cute. I, I I wasn't, I tried Law Cafe. It wasn't for me, but Love All Play does sound like a fun, a fun show that I want to check out. So thank you for, yeah. I like the that the guest reviews bring us, you know, different perspectives. Otherwise it's just like the three of us. Yeah. Exactly. Talking about like the this, this stuff that we love <laughs> and it's, it's good to have, you know, varied perspectives because I know that sometimes we really love something and y'all may not have loved it as much or like we're really down on something that y'all really loved so true this was a great opportunity to to get more varied perspectives yeah and and with Law Cafe um you know I I started watching it but I kind of went off like halfway through I think episode five or six I kind of stopped watching because it felt really predictable but I've been hearing I know the romance doesn't quite kickstart until like a, a little later so m- maybe what I need to do is just power through that phase and and get to it because I've been hearing such good stuff about the romance like their actual relationship once they get together that yeah I'm tempted to kind of go back so this is still like, this is one of those dramas that I kind of paused watching but haven't DNF'd because DNFing is like solid commitment into giving up and I just can't do it so I think I might actually end up finishing this drama it does feel like once you finally put it in your dropped column that's it you're saying goodbye (laughs) it does feel very like a final you know yeah nail in the coffin our next review is from tina who is a k-drama critic and she's talking about one of my favorite shows of the year pachinko my name is tina and i'm an avid k-drama watcher who sometimes finds time to tweet and write about them I think that a drama that was underrated this year for me was Pachinko. I did hear a fair amount about the show when it was being made, uh, particularly around the casting, but after it dropped earlier this year, uh, it didn't seem like anyone, or at least anyone in my circles, was really talking about it or watching it. Now, as we're wrapping up the year and doing all of our year's best lists, I feel like Pachinko should be on more people's lists even if it's not technically a K-drama since it's American produced. As someone who was skeptical about what this adaptation would look like, I was actually really pleasantly surprised at how well done it was. The story was gripping and emotional, it stayed true to the book, but without being weighed down by the source material. The actors were just incredible, Uh, the scenes were beautifully shot, And I especially love the way the show seamlessly went from English to Korean to Japanese and back again, sometimes within the same sentence. I'm not sure what it was about it, but there was something about seeing an integral element of these characters' lives, just as it was meant to be. And I just thought it was just really, really well done. Now, I do have to say that there is a season two for the show coming. So there's a lot that's unresolved at the end of this batch of episodes. And the whole season two thing may not be appealing for a lot of K-drama watchers, which I get. I'm usually like that too. But I think the show's good enough to look past that. So if you can access the show, I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I I think, you know, I've talked about Pachinko, but I really want to pick up on a point Tina made about the, the way that they, you know, code switch in between different languages and different even within those languages, like different ways of speaking the language. And I think 
I mean, yes, I guess technically it's not a K-drama because of, you know, who produced it and where it appeared. But at the same time, like, it does feature so many of the, you know, um, iconic actors of this generation. And, and it does, you know, take place in Korea and Japan. And I think, like, out of all the K-dramas I've watched, this is the most accurate and, like, moving portrayal of the immigrant experience that I've ever seen. I mean, it makes sense that you wouldn't usually see that in a K-drama, right? Because most of them, even if they're portraying the experience of an immigrant, it's like an immigrant who has left the country and has returned. And here you're you're really looking at the diaspora and like and a very painful sort of, you know, a really painful manifestation of that migration experience. So mm. I just I'm really glad that Tina brought that up because it's so beautifully done. I think it actually improves on the book. I mean, obviously it hasn't been finished, so we can't <laughs> say that definitively, but I think the structural decision they made um, to move back and forth between different time periods, mm -hmm. which is done very skillfully and gorgeously. I mean, the cinematography, the acting, the music, um, it adds more interest to the story. It adds more tension um, which is kind of counterintuitive, but it's just so beautifully done. So yeah, highly, highly recommend, even if you wouldn't normally be interested in this kind of multi-season kind of story, it's worth it. And now, K-drama uh, viewers are all getting used to the multi-season story, like unwillingly kicking and screaming, but that's where they're taking us. Um, that is true. This is one case where it's actually not a bad thing. <laughs> Just rare. You know, uh, Tina says that technically Pachinko isn't a K-drama, but in my head, I know it's made by Americans, but in my head so far, it was a K-drama. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's living in the K-drama space. Yeah. It's living in both spaces at once for me in my brain. So it's an interesting project. So the next review we have is from Abdul who is an educator and a YouTuber, and he wants to talk to us about Green Mother's Club. Green Mother's Club is a terrific drama. Think Sky Castle for the middle class. A story of mothers that are willing to do anything to help their children succeed. But where Sky Castle lives in the skies, Green Mother's Club lives in a gritty reality. The betrayals are personal. The compromises are severe. The mothers are desperate. The once esteemed professor who has fallen hard the queen of the social circle who has some dark secrets, the woman who lives in fear of always falling short, the one whose husband just isn't right, and the one whose life is just not as perfect as it seems. It's a story where friend and foe shift constantly. And the story succeeds because it isn't about the mystery. It's about flawed, imperfect humans trying to make the best of life. They're not great people, but they're people you can sympathize with. Lee Yo-won is, as always, brilliant. Chu Jae-hyun gives the performance of a lifetime. And the ensemble cast works because all of the women are terrific in portraying not just their characters' flaws, but also their humanity. It didn't make many waves internationally because, perhaps, stories around the difficult lives of the middle class and the extremely competitive nature of academics are not relatable. But what is relatable is trying to do good for your family and messing it up. These women know life is hard. They also know that their children are suffering because of their mistakes. But in an odd way, they have no power to stop it. All they have is their pain, their hope, their love for their families, and a lifetime membership to the Green Mothers Club. 
Very beautifully said, as yeah. usual, Abdul. That was lovely. Wow. You know, I saw Abdul tweeting about this show. Um, I think it might have been in response to our dramas over 2022 prompt on Twitter. And I was like, you know, you're the first person that I've seen all year talk about this show. Um, and he was like, but it was so good. And I was like, OK, we need to talk, you know, you need to talk about the show. So I'm really glad that we got to hear about this because I um, maybe it's by like instinctive sort of knee-jerk response that's the problem and I'm sure other people also like I'm not really interested in watching this show about like mothers trying to help their kids succeed in school but um it definitely makes me think twice about that initial being like ah, not for me but the reason we tend to kind of not want to watch that so much anymore is because it's so overdone in these high school stories and not always badly overdone but it's been shown in a range of stories, everything from school 2017 to deeper stories than that. <laughs> but it's, it, it is an aspect of parenthood and, um, you know, children's life that is like almost ever present in, in a lot of K-drama. So it does feel like it's over. But he's actually very right. We don't have a lot of stories that plumb the middle class realities of parents pushing mm. their kids to do better and also parents tend to be shown as like villains or like unfeeling ambitious people who don't really care about their children's true welfare in most of these storylines but that's not the space parents are operating from right most yeah. of the time they're horribly worried about their children's future because they can see how every year uh, employment opportunities are going down and how the competitiveness and uh, the like the goalpost is shifting so it, you mm. could get into a really great company if you did a b and now you have to do c d e f and maybe you get in the wait list it's so that's just getting harder and harder as years go on and parents are very aware of it so yeah actually that is yeah a, a newer perspective so thank you and you make a good point like i i think most of these shows are from the children's the students perspective and the parents are kind of these like supporting characters that are not fleshed out very well or if they are like in sky castle it's definitely not a realistic portrayal <laughs> these are not like realistic i mean it's extremely enjoyable and it's hilarious and it's like tense but i mean these are not these are not real people yeah. <laughs> um and so i yeah i appreciate a show that is actually giving us the parents' perspective in like a nuanced and um, grounded, realistic way. So thanks for that, Abdul. And next we have uh, a review from Sidabo Seji, who is a Korean studies professor, and she last joined us on an epic episode <laughs> we did on bullying in Korea. That's, that's remained one of our favorite episodes uh, that we have created till date. And she wants to talk to us about All of Us Are Dead. Hi, this is Cedar Balseji, and I'd like to spotlight All of Us Are Dead, a high school zombie drama that was enjoyable from beginning to end. I tried the first episode of the drama, and I found that it was very high suspense, but I liked the characters and thought the young cast was compelling enough that I wanted to keep watching. In the era of the COVID-19 pandemic, maybe it seems a bit too real that an easily communicable disease would suddenly take over a whole area. But main themes in the drama include the government failing to manage a catastrophe appropriately, 
where politicians seek to make themselves look good more than address the situation, which of course leads to more deaths. In this way, I would classify this drama partially as a veiled critique of botched rescue efforts after the Sewol ferry disaster. We can also read this drama as a parable about how far you will go to save the people you love. Even the mentally unhinged science teacher at the center of the outbreak was essentially trying to protect his son. And throughout the drama, we see family members die as they seek to protect those they care about. There's something comforting in a story of a parent or a sibling that will do whatever they can to save you, even if the viewer's heartstrings are snapped when one family member eventually dies. And finally, I appreciated that this drama had substantial leadership, intelligence, and fighting ability shown by high school girls, including not just good students, but school outcasts and members of the athletic team, archery. In the second season, I expect the mystery of the functional half-zombies to be unveiled. <laughs> you know, I don't usually like uh, zombie dramas, but you've made it sound like such an interesting sociological and, uh, you know, psychological drama that I'm like kind of into it. She has done a much better job. Actually, she's done a really great job of talking about this drama. I watched it when it first came out on Netflix and I couldn't figure out how to talk about it. Like, I liked it a lot, but I wasn't... It's difficult to explain what I liked about it. Like, there are a lot of really badass moments. There are a lot of heart-rending moments. And there are a lot of helpless people caught up in a situation that nobody expected. And the people who should be able to help them are completely unable to help them, which is like the worst, you know, situation to be in a disaster. I had naturally not connected it with the ferry disaster at all, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, given mm -hmm. how fresh that is in everybody's memory. And yeah, I mean, thanks as always, uh, Cedar Bell, for giving us that like additional context. And I mean, as expected, as from expected. A <laughs> professor of <laughs> Korean studies and who works on culture. Yeah. And those who uh, don't uh, watch zombie dramas because they are they just don't like the horror genre. Again, you know what? K-drama zombie, they're just not horror the way like the West does horror. It's always a social commentary and the zombies are... It's fine. Keep your lights on. Watch it <laughs> during lunch or something. <laughs> it's not scary, I promise. <laughs> I guess we'll have to hear from people whether they actually agree <laughs> with you about that. I would think happiness, right? Was that what I mean? Th there are a couple of jump scares, but most of the time it's just about like how humans react to uh, a sudden and unexpected disaster. That's the focus. And that's almost always the focus with these uh, uh, dramas when, uh, you know, Korean writers and directors get their hands off them. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that you mentioned happiness because I know if Saya was here, she would have brought up happiness. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, like, Which is another zombie <laughs> drama that makes us think of COVID and uh, has has interesting social critiques to make about how people react in these kinds of situations. Even if, even if it had zero so social critique, it still would have been a favorite cast. Oh, my God. Have you seen the cast? <laughs> Great cast. That's a friends to love story that I'm always going to try and get people to watch. <laughs> 
And finally, we have K Fan Girl uh, from the Fan Girl Verdict. She is um, a well-known uh, drama blogger. <laughs> we all love her. Yes. And she was last on the podcast with us to talk about Squid Game. Let's find out which C drama she wants to talk to us about today. Hi everyone, this is K Fan Girl from the Fan Girl Verdict. In terms of an underrated drama from 2022 that I wish more people would talk about or at least give a chance to, I hope, I think I'd have to pick Chinese drama Shining for One Thing. So on the surface, this show uh, looks like a typical high school drama with a side of fantasy time travel thrown in, which isn't a bad thing really because I was really taken by the trailer, which shows uh, our female lead basing finding herself back in high school after breaking up with her no good fiance and she gets to do a do over. And so I was all about wanting to see Basing kick her no good fiance to the curb uh, in this timeline. Um, but then Ernest steadfast shy boy Wanson comes into the picture and before I realized it I found that I was completely smitten by him, which is definitely one of my personal highlights from the show. The thing is though, this show can lean a bit slapsticky comedic sometimes and that might put some people off, I feel like. For example, the way Basing approaches Wanson in the beginning, it doesn't land at all like what a normal human being would do. And so um, I feel like um, Manoir Lens fixes that quite nicely. And with a bit of patience, honestly, this show grows into a love story that's more epic than one might first imagine, given the high school setting and the fantastical sort of premise. Um, I just wanted to say that this one crept under my skin more than I imagined it would, captured my imagination more than I thought it would. And now there's going to be a follow-up movie, which I'm very much looking forward to because I just really want to see these characters again. In a very broad sense, um, the feels that I get from this reminds me a bit of Taiwanese drama Someday or One Day. And that is a drama which I crowned my drama of the year in 2019. So that's saying something. All that to say, I hope more folks will give Shining for One Thing a look. It's just 24 episodes of 45 minutes each. And I believe you can get it on ITE and Vicky. That is all. Thank you for listening to my spiel. Happy holidays, everyone. And I'm wishing you all a great year in 2023. I just looked up the uh, drama too, because I had not actually heard about this one at all. Um, and this kind of reminds me, there have been a lot of these um, dramas where a protagonist goes back in time, especially to their high school days. And uh, there was one, I think, uh, just last year, a short drama where this heroine, when um, her friend passes away and then she, like, years pass and then, you know, she finds an opportunity to go back in time to sort of correct what had happened. It was like a short web series. Um, and the, But every time she goes back, she can't quite correct it. So she goes back and, like, it, she goes back and forth, basically. And she keeps trying to correct whatever goes wrong. Why? Because and she's also trying to figure out why her friend, um, you know, mm -hmm. commits suicide. So that, I forget the name of that drama, but that's the one that comes to my mind immediately. But there have been quite a few. There was a, another C drama that I uh, recommended to you. Remember, Nisa, the one where the lawyer goes back to college, um, and she doesn't want to get back with her boyfriend <laughs> again because uh, you started watching it, but then you didn't like it much. 
Le- legally romance. After f- 14 <laughs> episodes, yeah, I dropped it with anger and frustration. But I enjoyed it. I enjoyed some four scenes of it. The male lead was great. The male lead was great. So it, it this kind of sounds like that, but better. Um, and it, if Kirfan Girl is recommending Shining for one thing, I think maybe this is the drama that gets the formula actually right. In K-dramas, you've also had, um, again, My Life, Reborn Rich, but those were like revengey, go back in time dramas, whereas in the romance genre, the same time travel formula seems to be used more for like, let me correct the path I went down Mm, the first time. And instead of like getting vengeance, it's more about just like making better choices this time. Yeah, I mean, we've had some like Um, romantic time travel. Like there was that remake of the Japanese drama where the guy, um, his the girl that he's always loved ends up marrying their high school teacher and he like tries to go back in time to confess to her <laughs> like and he keeps failing <laughs> um it wasn't a good drama um but i i definitely watched it and i definitely watched the japanese version and i mean it was using ho like you okay. know <laughs> i watched it for using <laughs> yeah um but yeah i mean this is a trope that's been around for a long time but when it's done well it's really really good this sounds like a really sweet romance and thank you for the recommendation <laughs> uh there are so many sea dramas I have to catch up to from 2022. It was actually a really good year for Chinese dramas. And I'm glad we could end this segment with a good recommendation. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, everyone who sent in your um, wonderful reviews. Really appreciate the way that this like gave us more breadth to our coverage of 2022 because, you know, we just we can't I mean, We talked about it before, but like there's just so many dramas. No one can watch everything. And it's really nice to have, you know, your voices sharing your experiences of 2022. We wanted to also read a comment that um, Roberta actually left in our end of year polls for the Gokuma Awards, which we really wanted to share with all of you. Um, So she writes. May I say how much I enjoy your podcast? Last year, I needed to drive from Detroit to Pittsburgh on a weekly basis through the summer to assist in the care of my mother and your funny, opinionated, thoughtful, amazing voices came on the road with me as well. The three of you got me to Pittsburgh and back on more than one occasion, and I cannot tell you how grateful I was that you were along for the ride. I loved hearing about how well the podcast was doing at last year's award podcast and also about the successes you are each experiencing in your personal lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your dedication to this podcast. I know how much commitment it must take to do this, and it gives me such pleasure when a new episode becomes available. You have given me a lot of things to think about as I have become a K-drama fan over the past three years. I am an older person and consider myself a feminist, but your observations have made me think hard about how I interpret this world of drama and my own world. Also, one of my favorite episodes was one where Anissa's mom was a guest, and I'd love to hear her voice again. Oh. My favorite award Aww. last year was Borama's I Will Die on This Hill Award. Thank you. You are all wonderful, <laughs> Roberta. Ah, thank you, Roberta. This is so nice. This is so nice to hear yeah. and so nice to receive. And like, it's, we really love hearing from you all because we love putting out our voices, but it's because you're listening to us. And when we hear that something was meaningful for you or that, you know, Um, If we helped you get through a tough time, that's like the highest compliment, honestly, because I don't know, 
about you, Burma. For me, like this podcast has also helped me get through some tough times. And mm -hmm. it's really beautiful to know that that's the case for some of our listeners as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It has helped me get through tough times when I have felt um, completely useless. I have those phases. Um, getting an episode out and listening back to it, 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 it is something that makes me feel that reminds me that I'm <laughs> capable of enjoying something, talking about it thoughtfully, doing something productive about it. It just, it, there are way too many layers. And I appreciate uh, Roberta's comment. She noticed that it's like, it, it takes a lot to do this podcast, but she also noticed our love for it. And we don't uh, approach the podcast as like, um, how do I put it? For a lot of people, producing anything on the internet is kind of about clout or how to replace their job with like this thing. <laughs> and it, that's actually, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, shaming them for it. That's, that's excellent. Um, it takes a lot of work for us though. The podcast was always the place where we just wanted to come in and talk to each other, talk to you guys and just like clear out our thoughts because talking to each other and then later on when you guys leave us comments send us emails talking to you guys about you know the shows we are watching the themes we have noticed improves us as people and and just i don't know it feels like something worthwhile to do um okay i, I made this needlessly deep <laughs> i totally agree and it enriches the the experience of watching these shows beyond just a TV show that you like, you know, it, it takes it to another level. So yeah, we appreciate you. Yeah. And I appreciate you, Parma. And I appreciate you, Saya. <laughs> we appreciate you. Anisa. <laughs> uh, and Saya is the coolest, most wonderful co-host ever. I just want to make sure she got compliments from us too. <laughs> Saya. We love you. We love you we so much. We couldn't do this without you. Get well soon. You're amazing. Yeah. I can just imagine her like running away from <laughs> us as we say all this. Okay. All right. So we have one last <laughs> bit left, cause which we are excited about because you guys have been so amazing. Anisa. So on that note, we wanted to appreciate the guests who came on the podcast in 2022, share their time, their thoughts. Um, we really, really appreciate it. So in this past year, we had Zainab, my sister. We had Frabby. We had Mimi. And we had Stephen Lee. Thank you, guys. Yes. We really appreciate it. I know, like, um, we have very long recording sessions. <laughs> and y'all are all troopers for sticking with us through those. Yeah. We have long recording sessions, but we are also like sticklers about like how your sound has to be and, <laughs> and a lot of things basically. And, and you guys have been amazing uh, to, you know, go through all of that yes. and record the episode. So thank you for coming on. The, yeah, especially those those of you who are not related to me. And so I can't <laughs> tell you what to do. <laughs> like my sister. <laughs> it is very convenient that if something goes wrong with uh, Zainab's, you know, recording setup, Anissa just has to like exit her room, go over to where Zainab's recording, fix things and then come <laughs> back. And finally, we want to extend really heartfelt thanks to our patrons. Mm. A lot of you have been with us for a very long time and 
Um, so we just wanted to give you uh, a shout out um, on this episode, which is like a wrap up of 2022. So as of December 30th, 2022, these are the patrons who've been with us. We are going to go in the order of patrons who've been with us the longest to patrons who have just joined us. So here we go. <laughs> so thank you to EGADS, Steve B, Leah W, Shosha Ten, Humble Daisy, Eunice C, Jojo, Katie Cole, Edith Parker, Marcia Howard, Una Tuna, Dr. Chi, Anya De Yager, Leslie Humphreys, GK, Lynette Johnson, Helena, Stacy, Hannah DH, Sarah, Ezel, Frances MIA, David F, Eugene Young, Julia, Oleg, Fungi Lee, Lindsay, Safa, Mel G, Anonymous Otter, Frederica D, D Wen, Abel, Ingat Kayo, Kitty C, DJ, Arlene F, Keisha Watson, Jesse, Where's Wallace, <laughs> Rhonda AJ, Zita, Dal A, Jen K, A Hopkins, Anonymous Iguana, Daisy, Kira, Sharon J, Peps, Arlene M, T, Robin M. Yes, thank, thank you, you so guys. much. Yay! We can't stress enough how much your support has meant to us. It's been the backbone of this podcast mm -hmm. from like the, the very first month that we launched this patron. And uh, we've had a lot of support from a lot of you. Thank you. And to those uh, listeners who supported us for a time, you guys are also really <laughs> close to our heart. Thank you so much for what you did because that, that allowed this podcast to exist for a little longer. And yeah. You're deeply grateful. Yeah. As Swarma said, like the support that you give us, like the financial support, but also just like the emotional support that like helps us keep going. You know, like we couldn't, you know, pay our bills for the podcast without you. But we also like just knowing that you all value what we do enough to support us in this way is so motivating and inspiring. And so even when we're like, dead from all other things in our lives we are are so it really helps us to like keep going and um the community that you all have built it's just really it's really really nice and we love you and we're looking forward to another year of making amazing stuff hopefully that you all will like yes and now finally <laughs> we come to the end <laughs> so you can find us on Twitter at Dramas Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Anissa Khalifa underscore. You can find Saya on Twitter at NotNowSaya. Send her messages telling her she's cool, please. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can find me, Parma, at The Drama Notes. And you can find Dramas Overflowers on Instagram at dramasoverflowers underscore. You can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. Definitely sign up to our newsletter. Link is below because, well, we send you good stuff and we don't spam. And uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just look us up. Uh, our website is dramasoverflowers.net. Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thank you for listening, everyone. Yes, yeah. you made it to the end. I salute you. <laughs> we, we made it to the end. Yay. <laughs> yeah, I salute each Let's salute each other, too. All right. Bye. Bye. Good night. Ah. <laughs>